I'm going to talk to you tonight um, about prayer. There's nothing in this world that can replace prayer, nor anything out of this world that can replace prayer. It's the most powerful tool that we have. And uh, I'm afraid sometimes when I look at things that take priority in the kingdom business, if I could say it like that, uh, prayer should be taking more of a priority than it ever has, and it seems to keep getting pushed further and further away because we have tried to program a move of God, and we've tried to music our way into a move of God, and uh, I'm just going to tell you tonight, there's nothing that replaces prayer. There's, there is no replacement for what prayer does and it's not just because prayer changes things it's because prayer changes me prayer changes me and when prayer changes me I get into alignment with God and I start asking the right things and saying the right things amen and so tonight we're going to go to the book of Hebrews chapter 4 and I'm going to talk to you for just a little while about Praying the Word of God. Praying the Word of God. In Hebrews chapter 4, let's begin at verse number 12. Why would I pray the Word of God? Well, this is a good place to start. For the Word of God is quick. Somebody say, it's living. It's alive. And it is powerful. This really kind of just takes care of itself when you read it, honestly. It's, it's alive, it's quick, it's powerful, and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's a two-edged sword, so it cuts going in, and it cuts coming out, but it's sharper than any two-edged sword. If you believe that, say amen. It pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Somebody shout that out. Our profession. Our profession. What we acknowledge. What we say. Let us hold fast to our profession. For we have an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmity, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And so this is a powerful way to close this section out. So let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Amen. I'm going to talk to you tonight. I don't have a big 
uh, a big title for you, but I'm just going to talk to you about the power of praying the word. The power of praying the word. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we thank you tonight because your word says where two or three are gathered together in your name, that you will be there in the midst of us. And so tonight I pray, Lord, that you would release the power of your word in the midst of your people and that you would speak a word to us. I pray tonight, God, that there would be something more than just a common motivation that would move us to understand the value and the power of prayer. In the name of Jesus, awaken us tonight to what you have created us to be and how you have created us to live. And we'll give you the thanks and the praise in Jesus' name. Let the church say amen. amen. Could you take just a minute right here and give the Lord a great praise before you're seated? Thank you, Jesus. Come on, that sounds good in here. That sounds good in here. Give him a great praise. Give him a great praise. Shalabu kashatabaha. Kialamusahai. I feel you, Lord. I feel you, Lord. I feel you, Lord. I feel you, Lord. May the Lord richly bless you and you may be seated in Jesus' name. According to 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14, most everybody in here can quote it. Um, the context is important tonight, but I, I'm not really going to teach about the, the context per se, but I do want to uh, point to the value of what is mentioned. I realize that 2 Chronicles 7 and 14 was written to the Jews concerning a time of pestilence in the land. Um, but if I may just briefly touch on it, the reason why there was pestilence in the land is because the people were unrepented. If you believe that, say amen. God does care what we do. And he said, this, this if is so big, if my people, which are called by my name. I understand this was to the Jews for a specific time that they were in. It was, it was pestilence in the land. But I want to tell you, I believe it works for us. He said, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. This is big. And turn from their wicked ways. He said, then will I hear from heaven. You can't ask for a better promise than that. Before he promises to heal the land, before he promises to give back what has been stolen from them, he said, I will hear from heaven. The if is if you will pray, if you will seek my face, and if you will turn from your wickedness, then I will hear. I want God to hear what I'm saying. But I want to be sure that what I'm saying is what he wants to hear. Amen. So when I was a child, uh, I was raised in a praying home. And I thank God for that. I thank God for praying examples, and I, I do literally mean a praying home. There were less days that I, could, that I could count than I could remember. There were less days that it didn't happen than there were that did happen, that prayer happened in our home 
on a daily basis. And I'm not just talking about at the table. I mean, prayer was a priority in our family. It was, uh, it was something that we were taught to do. And, and prayer, prayer is not just something that should be taught. It's something that must be taught. Do you, under, you understand what I'm saying? The difference. It's not just something that can be taught. It's something that has to be taught. We don't have any option but to teach the value and the power of prayer. This is, this is so easy for us to fall into to, uh, the rhythm and the cadence of a week. And we, we, we come to church on Wednesday night and normal Thursday nights, our prayer meeting here. And then Sunday morning and Sunday night. But there's something that happens in us. We are the most demonstrative in prayer uh, at church. We are the most demonstrative in worship. As a matter of fact, uh, um, I don't say this in a braggadocious way. But it would surprise you how many eyes have been on our movement in denominations. They wanted to see how we worship with the power. They wanted to sing like we sing, have demonstration like we have but I'm going to tell you something this this may this may like hurt somebody and I'm not saying with the intention of hurting somebody but there is there is value that is put on personal devotion and prayer time among denominations that we don't have in this movement I hope it convicts you a little bit but they're literally, I, I, I was sharing a story the other day. I will save the names tonight because we're, on, uh, we're online and I, I would just rather not mention names. But there's a very famous uh, mega church pastor that happened to get on a flight one day with a, uh, with a UPC preacher, with a Pentecostal preacher. And somehow they got set right next to each other. I mean whether it was just God or what. But I'm going to share this conversation with you, and I want to tell you it's powerful. They sat down and said, well, what do you do? Well, I'm a preacher. Oh, really? What kind of preacher? I'm a Pentecostal preacher. Oh, great. Where are you pastoring? He told him where he pastored in the South. He said, uh, so you guys are United Pentecostal Church. Yep, yep, I'm a Pentecostal preacher. He said, okay, that's cool. Well, I'm so-and-so, and I pastor this church. And Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm familiar with that name. He said to him, this, this mega church preacher looked at this apostolic pastor and he said, I would like to respectfully submit something to you if I could. And they're just in casual conversation. It is, it is a grown-up thing to do to be able to sit in a conversation and not be offended by everything somebody says. <laughs> Boy, that was tough right there. People get offended at everything. I mean, everything. It's hard to say anything right. And he said, sure, man, say on, whatever. And he began to unfold. And now I will admit, sometimes when this happens, you know you're getting set up on a tee. He said, you guys have the best preachers in the world. He said, there is nothing, nothing in the circle that I run in that comes close to the way you Pentecostal guys preach. He said, it's unbelievable. The music, he said, y'all have the best music. You have the best musicians. Man, he started laying it out. I mean, you guys have got it. 
He said, but may I respectfully submit something to you? He said, sure, man, I'm all ears. He said, the thing that I've noticed from the outside is that Pentecost has no shallow end. Some would take that offensive. I take it as revelation. Because we require so much of the Spirit that the Spirit has actually been requiring of us. And we beg God to do things for us that He's not going to do for us. We ask God to do things for us from a spiritual level that can only be conquered in our flesh. Oh boy. If you have a problem in your flesh, whatever that may be, let's just use the words of the great apostle. He said, all that be in the world. Okay, so let's use this. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This, this is all that's in the world, he said. It's all encapsulated in this thought. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So whatever you're wrestling with in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, you can ask God all day long, take that away from me, take that away from me, take that away from me. And God is not going to take it away from you. I'm not saying at all, so don't misconstrue this. I'm not saying that God does not heal addictions. We all know he does. We've seen him do it. But you can't, if I can just be really transparent, be real here. You cannot, as a man, be staring at an attractive woman and saying, God, help me. God, help me. God, help me. You understand what I'm saying? Like, at some point, you got to help yourself. You, you, you can't spend your life saying, God, you got to take this away. Listen, men, God put something in you. This is contrary to popular opinion. God put something in you as a man to think that women are attractive. And sisters, God put something in you to think that men are attractive. That's a God thing. It's supposed to be there. And anything that looks at it differently than that is perverted. I heard somebody say this week, this is the gayest generation we've ever lived in. And that was not an attack. He said, it's the gayest generation we've ever lived in. Kids in high school age right now in the United States of America, one in five are gay, lesbian, or trans, or dealing with it in their mind right now. Dealing with it in a public way they're talking about. And so when you, when you start doing things outside of the will of God, God put it in me to... to think that women are beautiful so that I would date women until I found the one that was to be my wife and then she was to be the one that's beautiful to me and everything else that's beautiful is off limits. Man, I, I, am I in the right place tonight? And so, so if, you, if you can't learn to say no to lunch then you'll never learn to say no to come into my apartment. Nobody will know. And you can't, you can't, you can't say, God, please take that away from me. God's not, he's not going to take that away from you. 
you got to have something in your flesh that has come in contact with something from his spirit that says you are more than a conqueror. It's hard to pray in an inebriated state of mind. I mean, honestly, how many drunk people have you ever talked to that if they're really good and drunk, that's what they want to be the rest of their life? Most of the time when you deal with somebody that's drunk because they're down or whatever, they say, man, I got to stop doing this. Right? you, You get somebody that's had an overdose and they live through the overdose. They'll say things like, and while they're still in the hospital or under the care of a doctor like, I can't keep doing this. But then your flesh is flesh. And when you go back to the same house that supplied you the last time. And you wonder why you're tempted. When you, when you go back to the same people that gave you the drink before. Or, or the smoke before, then you can't blame that on God and say, well, God, I told you I'd live for it if you'd help take that away. There are things that happen in our flesh that the only way we're ever going to conquer that is when we keep our unholy flesh in contact with the holiness of God. And I don't care how spiritual you are. I read to you tonight, Jesus Christ We know that he was God manifest in flesh. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the almighty God in the flesh. And even God himself in flesh was tempted in every manner like as we are. But that little three-letter word right there, yet without sin. I know this is hard for us to get in the fact that he's 100% God, but he's also 100% man. And in his man, in the sonship as a man... He had to choose holiness. You understand what I'm saying? As a a man, Jesus Christ, if women would not have been beautiful to Jesus, then Jesus wouldn't have been tempted in every manner like as we. Jesus had to be around drunks, gamblers. I mean, good grief, they're casting lots at his crucifixion. He had to be tempted in every manner like as we. But that's why in his flesh we find him praying saying, Not my will, but thy will be done. Something has got to transpire in us to realize you cannot get spiritual enough to make temptation go away. You will never be spiritual enough to make temptation leave your life and never show back up again. But the only way that you and I are ever going to conquer this old flesh is to get up every single day of our lives and grab ourselves by the nap of the neck and say, Today, the Spirit of God is going to win in me and my flesh is going to lose. you got to get up every day of your life and say, I will seek the Lord today. I will pray today I will be in the word today so as a boy I learned I learned at a very very young age to structure your life with prayer my mother and dad and this may come across derogatory I don't mean it that way at all they didn't give me a choice 
If my mom and dad, if we were on the evangelistic field, my mom and dad went to the church to pray, me and Jody didn't just stay behind. We went and prayed. Sometimes we had to go to the church and pray because it was so hot in our trailer we couldn't sit in the trailer. We were in the valley, Brother Mike, in California. It's 115 degrees. And everything in our RV was melted. Everything. All the candles, the paraffin wax that my mom had to cook with, all the chocolates, everything. It was all melted. And we, we went over to the church thinking, yeah, we'll just go lay in the air conditioner. Well, that, this church didn't have an air conditioner. You probably remember these from the old days in California. They have what they called a swamp cooler. Anybody in here know what a swamp cooler is? Just blows cool air across water. It's 120 degrees outside. And we're like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. And we prayed out of necessity. We, we would pray. I, I would see my parents do things that, at the, as a kid, I thought it was kind of silly. But, man, now looking at it, it's so powerful. I'd see my mom and dad get under, underneath the chair. And they'd grab hold of the legs of the, the chair. And they would, they would make the legs of those chairs the horns of the altar. And they would pray and they'd cry out. Now, listen, I'm not talking about they had, back then. We, we didn't have iPods back then. We had Walkmans. My mother and dad didn't teach us to put a Walkman on and then go walk 800 miles in the church. They taught us, you get down in a position of bowing or kneeling, and if you walk, that's fine, but you open up your mouth and you communicate with God. Church, if we communicated with people the way that we communicate with God in prayer, it would be awkward. Could you imagine if you walked in to have a conversation with me, and as soon as you walked in the room, I just put my iPod in and sit there and close my eyes. What are you doing? I'm communicating with you. Shh. <laughs> Prayer does not happen in our minds. That's meditation. Prayer happens when I open up my mouth. I can think he's lovely all day. I can think he's beautiful all day. But something changes in the room when I open up my mouth and I say, you are all together lovely. You are lovelier by far. You are fairer than 10,000. I looked up on the platform tonight and saw my wife up here. And I'm on the front row and I thought, man, she is so pretty. That was in my mind. But if I, if, I never, if I never walk in and say, babe, you look good tonight. All the thoughts that I had in my mind are irrelevant because there's, there's no communication with that. If I walk around thinking on the goodness of the Lord all day, that's all I've done is I've thought about it. Anybody in here ever think about food when you're fasting? Oh, you bunch of liars. You think about it all day. You don't have to remind yourself when you're fasting. You, you know you're fasting. And, and, and you can guarantee one thing. You may, if you watch YouTube, and oh, I, I love YouTube because, man, they got hunting videos and airplane videos. You can get you know, whatever. And on, on a fast day, every stupid commercial on YouTube is the biggest 
burger you've ever seen in your life. I'm talking about Papa John's is invested in my fast day videos. You, you hear me? Every pizza place in the country decides that between a, in a 15-minute hunting video that I need to see 14 pieces of pizza. But I can think about food all day and be hungry. And I can think about prayer all day and be carnal. But when I open up my mouth and I engage and I start chewing on that food and I swallow it down, I die, then I know there's a physical sign in me. I'm telling you, there is a physical sign on people that pray. And there is a physical sign on people that don't pray. So we've got to communicate with God in more of a way than just sitting around and whispering. And this is what I get probably in 90% of my conversations with people that come to me and talk to me about prayer. I know that this is what disciples did in the scripture. They would follow their rabbi and they would say, teach us to pray. And they would pray after the likeness of their rabbi. And, and people do that. They, they come to me as their pastor and say, pastor, help me pray. Like, teach me to pray. So... Uh, every year, I try to teach on this just a little bit uh, in the way that I was taught to pray. And my mother taught me as a young, a young boy that there is nothing wrong with having structure and order to your prayer. I was probably, I'm just guessing, don't hold me to it. I don't want to burn in hell for eternity for lying. But I was probably six or seven years old when my mom started making me my own prayer book. And in that prayer book, we began to expand it, and, and it eventually became a way of life for me that it was filled with Scripture, that I would pray the Word. Anybody in here ever received uh, teaching from Sister Saint on how to make a prayer book? There's got to be a few of you, okay? So the teaching of prayer, it was, it was something that was, uh, I, I could apply it to my life in a real world because people come to me and they say, Pastor, how do you pray an hour? How, how do you pray two hours? How do, you, how do you ever get to the place where an hour isn't hard? I run out of things to say. And I'm like, that's funny because I've had dinner with you. Let me just tell you, there's some folk, they don't ever, they don't ever run out of something to say. And, and, and they, you know, when I go to prayer, I mean, after, after a while, I mean, you can, you can only ask for so much. And I'm like, oh, right there's the key. Because your prayer life is filled with asking and asking and asking. And God touched them and touched them and touched them. There's nothing wrong with a prayer list. But I want to tell you the value that it's added to your pastor's life from a child to pray the word. When we pray the word of God, we are saying back to God what God said to us. How do I pray in the will of God? Pray the word of God. And as you pray the word of God, you begin to come into alignment with the word of God. And the word of God is always in alignment with the will of God. And it's never contradictory to the will of God. And as you begin to pray the word of God, it's amazing how it simplifies your prayer. Amen. Many years ago, uh, I have several, several of his books in my library. Uh, E.M. Bounds, 
uh, who wrote a lot on prayer, made this statement. He said, men prayed in Old Testament times because they were simple men that lived in simple times. They were childlike, lived in childlike times, and had childlike faith. Now, before you run off thinking that sounds cuckoo, I want to tell you there's some value to that. The simplicity of lives that these people lived made prayer as natural to them as sowing and reaping, getting married, raising a family, because they lived in such a time that when they walked into their prayer closet, they didn't get a text. I, 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 man, I'm going to sound like I'm harping on the same old thing. But I have, I've traveled all over this world. I've been blessed to be in third world countries. I've been, uh, some of the greatest revivals and miracles that you see happen, and I, and I don't say this abusingly, but it happens in poor places where there's broken people. They don't have a lot. They just, they come in contact with God. And it's like, wow, I've never felt anything like this in my life, but it, it's, it's so amazing when you see people in, in underdeveloped nations in meetings pray, it's to me, it seems like their prayer is so much more vibrant and so much more fervent than it is in the West. It's, it, to me, it's one of those things, it's like the less they have, the more they tend to exhibit a simple trust in God. It's kind of like Oh, man. Here we go. It's kind of like here in the States. If we tend to have a headache, we ought to have a solution. We just go grab the bottle and pour it out and pop two or three of them. It's fixed. When you you live in a country where you don't afford medicine, you can't, you, you, you know, you can't go to a doctor and it's not something that, that you can do. It's amazing how quickly you'll start saying, Lord, if you don't do it. And these people will seek God out of necessity. And so uh, there's fewer things to distract them. They don't have TV because they can't afford cable. There was, uh, I read an article during the, uh, the World Cup, the soccer thing that just happened and there was this man I believe he was in Brazil I believe that he wanted uh, to root for their soccer team but he couldn't afford a TV and so every game that they played he went down and stood on a sidewalk little old hunkered over man he stood out on a concrete sidewalk and watched TV through the window at a store at an appliance store that had television he stood there and watched the whole game standing outside. He couldn't afford a TV, but because he wanted to see it, he made his way somewhere where he could see it. And we talk about lack of resources. But I'm going to tell you, if you want to see the game, you'll walk to the game. You'll, you, if you want to pray, you'll find a way to pray. If you want to seek God, you'll, you'll move some things around and You'll start praying. Listen, you can't sleep 12 hours out of 24 and play uh, PlayStation for 14 and then wonder why in the world you didn't have time to pray. 
It's so funny because you'll pray for 15 minutes at night. Anybody in here ever try to read the word right before you go to bed? Yeah, well, that works out good, don't it? Especially in Chronicles, Brother Jordan. When you get over and then begat and you're laying there and pee, leg, begat, and you're like, oh, start dozing off. It's, it's funny. About five minutes in, you're done. But go ahead and turn you on a 45-minute YouTube video while you're laying there. You'll stay awake the whole time. Find something you want to watch, you'll stay awake because it's got your attention. You know how we get in prayer and make it to where we don't get exhausted? We let him have our attention. And we spend time talking to God. And we spend time hearing from God. And we let God speak some things to us. Listen, prayer becomes as natural as breathing when God becomes your only resource. When God is, listen, we, we still, we are blessed in America. But we still got to live by faith. We've got to get to the place in this civilization, we're probably not going to go back to the old ways. But it was a whole lot easier to go to bed at night when you just had to put out the, the, the coal oil lamp and everybody went to bed. Now we can just flip a switch and everything comes on. When they used to talk about people burning the midnight oil, that means they were pretty intentional about prayer and study. Late at night, at midnight, they had that lamp on. We don't even know about burning the midnight oil anymore. I'm not saying this to be rude tonight, but I wonder how many apostolic people fall asleep in their recliner watching TV every night. I, wonder, I really do. I wonder how many of us fall asleep sitting in front of a television and then say, Oh man, I didn't get to pray yesterday. There was something about the old way of living. Their lives were less complex. They would get up and they would work while it was day and they would eat dinner and be with their family in the evenings. They would all sit at the table together. Man, we're so scattered now. They maybe had one horse or one mule. If they were blessed, they'd get them a cart and have two or three mules and go into town. And now it's like, even if we have dinner together at a table, we, every one of our faces are lit up. Our children are babysat by devices, and so are we. And God's been trying to speak to us, and we're like, yeah, okay, I'll get with you. And listen, I'm not saying this to hurt you tonight, but you can tell how people communicate with God by the way they communicate with others. If we spend our lives with family that God has given us, sitting at every single meal with devices up, texting, calling, some, sometimes men... We need to just look at our wives in the eye and say, you got all my attention. I don't have a phone at this table. You got my attention. We ought to be able to look at our children and say, talk to me. Can can you imagine that feeling of a child coming to us saying, daddy, I need to talk to you. And we say, okay, baby, hang on just one second. Hang on, just hang on. Hang on just one second. And their little hearts are beating that. I I don't know how, how everybody's kids are, but when I was a little kid, I had to get courage to talk to them, you know. I got to get courage because I want something. And I finally got the courage to go ask my daddy about it. Daddy, I need, I need that baseball bat. And it was the most important thing in my life. When I walked in there, I walked in there, Brother Diaz, with the courage. I'm going to finally talk to him. And I can't imagine if I would have approached him and said, Hey, Dad, I want to talk to you about something. And he said, Hang on, I'm scrolling through Facebook. God, God is trying to bring us to a place Not where we're like an old civilization, but to where all of the distractions in this world don't matter to us anymore. 
When I get up in the morning, I leave my phone charging in the bedroom and I go to the front living room and start praying when I get up in the morning. I don't take my phone t- to prayer in the morning. I don't, I, well, I like to use mine for music. Yeah, but if you use it for music, then you got to get on whatever and search for the music and then you get distracted. God's trying to help us. I know this is probably as boring as watching paint dry tonight, but I'm trying to get something into your spirit this evening. People have tried to convince us that technology has made our lives so much more convenient. There's a lot of truth to that, but it's also made our lives so much more distracted. It is so hard to seek the face of God when we are covered up by distractions all the time. If I may say it to you like this, simply put, complexity wars against prayer. It is the enemy of prayer. It fights prayer. The complexity of our lives. I pray when I'm going down the road too. That's a great time to talk with God, but that's not a prayer closet. I I love to listen to the word when I'm going down the road, but that's not a replacement for just getting the word in you. We've got to learn that if we're going to talk to God, we can't do it with cars driving by and people honking at us and us getting upset, people flipping us off and us going about our way. Yeah, I take my lunch break and just slip off kind of in a corner. I don't really close my eyes because I don't want people to see, but I talk to the Lord over there. We ought to talk to the Lord all day, every day. Speak to the Lord. But we got to find that prayer closet where there's no complexity, there's no distraction to say, okay, God, you got my attention, and I don't have my phone, I don't have anything else, maybe just my Bible, and whatever you want to say to me, I'm listening. If you believe it, say amen. amen. There is something so powerful about becoming less complex. Uh, I'm hurrying tonight to get where I'm going, but... The thing I miss about being little as a child is that I had the coolest imagination you could imagine, ever. I was a pilot for years before I ever sat in the cockpit of an airplane. I flew, as a little kid, I flew all over the world. I'd sit in my, I'd sit in my bedroom. I, I drove my parents crazy. I played the nicest drum kits you've ever seen in your life on the back of their seat. Man, I played the best drums. I, I had a, the sweetest set of DW drums you've ever seen in the back of our crew cab dually, but they were all on just one pad. It was on the back of my dad's head pad. I, I played the drums, and after a while, he'd say, Good grief, Luke. Stop beating on my seat. Like, well, Daddy, I'm over here playing for the Magruders. You'll just have to excuse me. Come on, somebody. Children teach us some amazing things. The way they dream, it's just unbelievable. You know, the imagination of a child is something. But Jesus told his disciples in Mark 10 and 24, it actually said that his disciples were astonished at his words. Jesus answered and said unto them, children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. 
I've heard people read this as if it was Jesus' condemnation against wealth or a declaration that possessions or, or, or things were going to keep us out of the kingdom of God. What Jesus was declaring was that being dependent upon riches virtually negates your dependence on God. If you've got everything you need, you don't depend on God. We're so blessed. The poorest among us are blessed. And that's why, please forgive me if it feels like I'm stepping on your toes. But I'm telling you, that's why we don't spend a lot of time in prayer. Because we have everything we need. There's nobody in this room that woke up to the threat this morning that if God doesn't provide a meal for my family, my children are going to starve because we walk into the refrigerator and look at drawers full of everything and turn our nose up like, I don't really want that. I'm going to go run through Popeye's. And we got the gas in our car and we got the car to get there and we got the clothes to put on and we go through the drive-thru and we're like, man, that's getting expensive as we hand them our debit card and oh, that's, man, that chicken's getting expensive here. Take it in and we go home and we're full and we sit down in that beautiful recliner. Oh, thank God for recliners. But we sit back in that recliner and our bellies are full and we doze off to sleep without needing one thing. We leave our, our house set at 68 degrees in the winter. And I walk around sometimes in the house going, man, I am freezing. Freezing, Brother Snow, it's 68 degrees. Freezing. What I really mean is I'm uncomfortable. Well, there are people in this very city tonight. They don't walk over to the thermostat and bump it twice and be like, I think 70 is going to be better. They don't even have power to the thermostat. There are people around this world that tonight they are trusting God. Lord, if you could just give my family just a little bit of rice. Some way, somehow, God, if there's any way that you could just bless my family with enough rice to eat. That tomorrow I can put my children to bed and them not be hungry. And man... I wish you could see my countertop sometimes, raising these kids. It's amazing. And Sister Kelly, it don't matter what I buy. They want something else. It don't matter. Unless you take them shopping, they're like, ooh, I want that. Ooh, that looks good. Ooh, Daddy, we got to get that. And they never open it. We're blessed. Man, we are so blessed. Jesus said, if, 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 if you don't ever have to depend on God, you probably won't. But every time we get in the thick of it, this is what we ask God to do. Please take away the thing that's making me depend on you. That's not how we pray it, but that's what we're asking. Move that mountain, God. Move that mountain. He's like, no, I think I'll just walk with you, Abraham. Well, but, 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 but I, I, do, I do trust God. I, I really do trust God. I, I, honestly, I do, Pastor. I, I trust God. Listen, I wonder, I do, I wonder how often the Almighty God has been replaced with the Almighty Dollar. You see people literally exhaust themselves. I'm talking about, I've seen them work until they fall over dead. So they can have five more dollars in their account. 
die at an early age because they just got to have more, got to have more, got to have more. But we look at a missionary who sells everything they've got and goes to a foreign land and they live on next to nothing in their mission field. And we say, man, that is stupid. We're slaves to the lenders. We're slaves to our jobs. We're slaves to a time clock. We're slaves to overtime. And when it's all said and done, and, it's, and thank God for people that work, especially today. We need people that are working. If a man don't work, he don't eat. But I'm telling you, if we got to live within reason and depend on God. We've, we've got to bring God back into this equation. When they look at us and say, if you put church before this job, we're going to take away your job. Then we got to stand up and say, well, then I trust God. Can you come here, Solomon, real quick? Just real quick. I'm sorry, man. I know you're holding that pretty girl. I don't want to embarrass you. And I know it expired, but I, want, I just want to. Solomon came to me one night. He said, Pastor, I wanted to be in church. But the job that I had, he said, it was mandatory. I had, I had to work. And so he went to the HR department. If I mess this up, just elbow me. He went to the HR department, and he said, listen. I know Sundays are mandatory, but I want to be in church. And they looked at him and they said, well, you do know that if, if you miss church or miss work for church, then you don't get paid that day. He said, yeah, I understand that. They said, so you're, you're willing to go without pay? He said, yeah, I'm willing to go without pay because I want to be in church. Is that true? And so they said, well, listen to this. They said, We've never had this request before. So we're going to have to go talk to some people about this. And when they came back with a letter, he said, you can go to church if you don't mind missing the money. I just want to ask you, have you ever missed the money? Never missed the money. God's blessing his family. Beautiful children. I, I understand. Thank you, bud. I, listen, I get it, man. I understand. But at some point, we got to start depending on God. He said, Lord, my life is built around your plan and your kingdom. And you know when that happens? It happens when we start praying and seeking the mind of God. Because you can't pray the word and it not convict your heart when you read. Worry not for the morrow. What about the lilies of the field? They toil not, yet I have clothed them. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added. Hey, I'm telling you right now, I thank God. That the word is alive and it works. Finding security outside of our relationship with God is truly the American way of life. We've heard about it from our childhood. They say, well, be self-sufficient. Be self-sufficient. Be self-sufficient. And we are. But if I would be honest with you tonight, prayer seems to be reserved for extreme emergencies. Prayers like the fire escape of life. We want it handy just in case everything goes up in smoke. The first, the first message that I ever remember writing on paper. I don't remember what the business was, Mama, but I got, I, I got a, a, a paper pad at your house that had a light bulb on it. I don't know what the business was. A little narrow pad. And I, I wrote my sermon out. It was powerful. Man, it was powerful. I even wrote in there, this is where they say amen. <laughs> like, I wrote in there, say hallelujah. 
God, are you ready for this infinite wisdom? God is not a light switch. I was probably four years old and I wrote me a little sermon. God is not a light switch. I still feel the same way. I never did preach that sermon, but I feel the same way. I can't just turn on prayer when I want it and shut it off when it's not convenient. I got to figure out a way. Listen, we, we can't, we, we've got a problem in Pentecost. Brother Jordan and I were talking about this in my office the other night. Whenever young men feel the call to preach, we want to teach them to preach. I don't want to teach you to preach. That's secondary to teaching you how to pray. If you got a call on your life to be a preacher, I want to know that you can pray. I want to know that you can seek the face of God. Because we got people that will pray 30 minutes, 15 minutes to preach 45 minute sermon to an hour long sermon and and you know they got plenty of time to do everything else but do you realize that Jesus Christ Jesus Christ invested 30 years in a three and a half year ministry and we don't even have guys that spend three and a half years on a 30 year ministry prayer oh God when we pray the scriptures it teaches us to pray. We learn, we learn in the word of God, dependence on God. And it's like a child communicating with their heavenly father. I want to show you this. This was powerful. The Lord dealt with me about this today. But in Matthew chapter 18, if you have your Bibles, 18 and 3. I know some of you are tired tonight because I'm talking about prayer. See, that's just the way it works. You try to pray, you get sleepy. You preach on prayer, you get sleepy. Jesus sat a little child in the midst of his disciples in Matthew 18 and 3. And he said, verily I say unto you. Except you be converted. And become as little children. This always sounded weird to me. You shall not enter to the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child. The same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Remember hearing that in Sunday school? But I want to show you something tonight. This is not as simple as it sounds. As a matter of fact, it's pretty intricately involved. So I'm going to walk you through this and then I'm going to hurry. He said, first of all, except you be converted. That means something's changing. You have to be converted to be like a child. It's a 180 degree change in direction. He said, whosoever therefore shall humble himself. Somebody shout humility. humility. So it's not just 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Jesus said, you got to be converted and you got to be humble. And then he said, you got to become as a child. Let me walk you through this. This is insanity. This is full dependency. That child was brought there that day by a parent. You're not ready for this part, but just put your seatbelt on. It's full dependency and full loss of rights. When I was a little kid, I didn't tell my parent where I was going. I didn't walk in the room and say, hey, I'll catch y'all later. I'm headed to Dan's. I don't think I ever attempted that. That's why I still got all my teeth. When you become as a child... I know, I, I know in a normal society, in a normal society, a godly society, 
A child does not have the same rights as a parent. I know in this one, you can get an abortion at 12 and 13 and not tell your parents. But in a godly society, children don't have, have the rights that their parents have. It's amazing to me. You can't vote till you're 18, but you can have an abortion at 15. Can't buy a gun till you're 18 or 21 in some cases. Come on, somebody. But do you know in the kingdom of God, if you're going to become as a child, that means you're willing to give up all of your rights to say, I'm the boss and I'm leading the way. It is full dependency on God. As a child, your rights are conferred to you by your parents and not the other way around. And that's why prayer is so messed up sometimes because we go to prayer to tell God what, what he's going to do for us. And the Lord said, listen, unless you become like a child and you turn your rights over to me and let me order the steps, I'm not going to let you have entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Somebody shout glory to God. You got to become like a child. That's, that, Pastor, that's stupid. That's just, that's not even, that, what you're saying is not even biblical. Anybody in here know who the Bible says the wisest man that ever lived? Anybody? If Caleb was here, he'd scream it out right now in front of everybody. Solomon. I want to take you to 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse number 5. 1 Kings chapter 3. Man, wisdom. Now, I'm talking about wisdom. Solomon had wisdom. God said about Solomon. I pray this prayer all the time. But God said about Solomon that he had wisdom and understanding exceeding much and largeness of heart. Even as the sand that's on the seashore and his wisdom excelled that. It exceeded that of all the children of the east country and all the wisdom of Egypt. That's what God said about Solomon. But in 1 Kings 3 and 5... In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. Watch this. And God said, what do you want me to give you? Y'all reading the same book I'm reading? God showed up in his dream and said, what do you want? Hey, I don't know. I've never had that conversation with God. Anybody in here ever had God just walk into your room and say, what do you want? God said, Solomon. What do you want? And Solomon said, Lord, that, that you, you, you showed unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him great kindness that thou hast given him a son to sit in his throne this day. You know, this is the humility part right here. He said, and now, O Lord, my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David, my father. I bet you've never noticed it like this right here. Watch this. And I... And but a little child. I don't even know how to go out and come in. God walks in the room with Solomon and says, what do you want? He says, I'm a little child. I don't know. Solomon was not referring to his chronological age. Uh, age dear God, he had 700 women in his life. He was a full-grown man. <laughs> he was a full-grown man. But when Solomon compared himself to his earthly father, David, 
And he said, Lord, there's a tremendous task before me. He felt insufficient for the job. And he took his position as a child before God, his father. And it greatly pleased the Lord when God said, what do you want? And he said, I'm a child. I don't even know how to go out or come in. And when God saw him become as a child, what was he saying? He was saying, Lord, you've got control. I'm giving you the rights. I know I may be the king on paper. And I may sit on the throne. But this is your kingdom. And these are your people. I'm going to be like a child and I need my father to tell me what to do. So what did God do? God gave him wisdom. Isn't it funny that the wisest man in history approached God as a child? That didn't mean that he put on a diaper. You know that, I guess that's a thing now among some adults. I don't know. Act like a baby. I don't know. But I'm talking about the humility of coming before God and saying, you are my father and I worship you as such. And whatever you want to do in my life today, God, you can do it. If you believe it, shout amen. amen. Now, just very quickly, I'm going to move into something just, just very quickly and I got to get you out of here. But praying the word leads to sincerity in prayer. It leads to sincerity in prayer. Our English word sincere comes from two Greek words. I preach this through the years. The word sign and the word seer. Sign means without and seer means wax. So the word sincere, the etymology of sincere just means without wax. And this comes from the idea that silver merchants habitually covered imperfections and flaws in their merchandise with beeswax that was impregnated with silver fillings. So they made it. Looked like it was silver. And when they sold it to you, they sold it as a vessel of honor. But when you would pour something hot in the silver, the wax would melt and it would no longer hold it. And so a sincere vessel was one that was authentic and could hold something. When it got hot, it didn't matter how hot it was. It was sincere. Some of us were a little insincere because when it gets hot, This, of course, means for you and I that we need to be no wax people. Turn to your neighbor and ask him, are you waxy? <laughs> Paul wrote, knowing full and well the meaning of this word in Philippians 1 and 9. And he said, I pray that you may approve the things that are excellent and that you may be sincere and without offense. Without offense. Be sincere and without offense. Until the day of judgment. Be without wax. Just be sincere. What are you saying pastor? I'm saying. When you pray the word of God. You're not just praying things that sound right. Because Jesus dealt with the Pharisees. And I got to hurry. But Jesus dealt with the Pharisees. And he said. You pray so that everybody can see you. And you pray loud enough where everybody can hear you. And you say the things that you know they, they want to hear you say. And he said if that's what you do. Then that's your reward. Have I left the book? He said, but when you get into your closet and you pray to your father, notice the language, to your father in heaven. You come like a child and you pray to your father in heaven and you pour your heart out to your father in heaven. He said, whatsoever you do privately, I will reward you openly. Now, I'm going to walk you through a couple of things real quick before I leave. I'm getting into my personal prayer life here. Everybody doing okay? Just a couple things. So when I begin to pray, 
There's a couple of you in here that may have uh, a similar copy to my prayer book. But I pray the word of God. Now I have most of this just memorized where I don't even, I don't even take my book with me. Uh, but I do, I, I pray the word of God. When I, when I come through the gates, I pray the tabernacle plan. You know that if you've heard me talk about prayer very long. I pray uh, the idea of the tabernacle when I come through the gate. David said, I will enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. And I begin with that. Lord, I will enter today into your gates. Thank you for the opportunity. And I begin to pray the word. Lord, your word said, blessed is he who stands at your gates. And I begin to pray the word of God. Lord, I thank you today for the opportunity to enter into your gates with thanksgiving, into your courts with praise. And I pray the word. I pray that, God, I know that the gates were a tough place. Because just as you come to the gates, Lord, I know that it was a place of death. That as you walked into the door, that, Lord, just inside the gates, there was that, there was that altar of sacrifice there. And I begin to pray that altar of sacrifice because everybody wants to go to the Holy of Holies. Everybody wants to get to the ark. But you didn't get to the ark without walking past that altar. And I get right there at the altar and I pray the word. God, I want you to kill everything in me that's not like you. I want everything. I want my flesh to die at this altar right here, Lord. Before, before I go any further, God, before I go any deeper, I'm asking right now, Lord Jesus, that my flesh would die and that your spirit would live in me. Because your word said, Lord, the apostle said, I must decrease that you might increase. And I begin to pray the word. And then I get to the lever. And the lever is a powerful place of exposing and washing. And I pray the word. And I want to show you how I do this. I go to Psalms 51 and 9 when I get to the labor. And I say, God, I invite you to expose sin in me today. Whatever, God. I want my conscience to be, to be pure. And I want it to be clean. And I pray uh, Psalms 51 and 9. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And uphold me with thy free spirit. Because I desire, Lord, to enter into your presence with a clean conscience today. So I ask you, God, to give me clean hands and a pure heart. That I would not lift my soul unto vanity. Well, how do you pray an hour? It's not hard. God, I'm, I am inviting you today. And I began to walk through the word. I start walking through the commandments of the word of God. What was the number one commandment? Anybody remember? No other gods before me. That ain't hard to pray. God, your word said, thou shalt have no other gods before you. So today, Lord, I declare, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And Lord, if there's any other gods in my life today, I'm asking you to expose it. You are the one true living God, and I worship you, and you alone, there is no God like you. And according to your word today, Lord, I will worship you with all my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength. Forgive me, Lord, if I've dishonored the one true and and living God, Lord, your word said in the second commandment that I should have no idols before you. So today, God, I pray against idolatry in my life and anything that I've set up and anything that I've loved. Praying the word. Somebody say praying the word. You can't pray the word without getting convicted. I get over into praying all the commandments. It's insane. When we start praying the commandments. But then I get into Matthew 6 and 10. I say, Lord, when you taught us to pray, you said, let thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And I pray that. And I say, God, I'm asking you to expand my capacity. Uh, I, I was singing for just a moment. It was in here, but it was Friday in chapel. Brother Jordan did such an incredible job 
Talking about the prayer of Jabez. I love to pray the prayer of Jabez. Oh, Lord, that thou wouldest bless me indeed and enlarge my coast. I love it. But I want to show you something. You're not going to be able to see this. But I want to show you this simple little thing that I do. I'll be happy to show you sometime if you want to see it. I've got a diagram of a man. It's just a body. I don't know what you can tell of this, but there's red all over it. These are things that I've scratched. I have a paper copy of this, and I have this copy. And I've, I start at the top of my head, and I pray all the way to the soles of my feet, and I pray the word over my body. I start, I start at the mind. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23, it says that we are made of mind, body, and spirit. And so I begin to pray that. God, I pray over my mind today. And I ask, Lord, that you would touch my mind. And I begin to quote the scripture. Lord, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest. God, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, whatsoever things, God, if there be any virtue and there be any praise, your word says to think on these things. So this day, God, I'm asking you to put a guard around my mind and let me think on the things of God. And I pray that all the way down. Lord, your word says, I pray over my, my eyes today, Lord. Your word says that I should set no evil thing before my eyes. So I pray uh, in accordance to your word today, Lord, that my eyes would be pure. And that you would keep my eyes from looking in the direction of the world. And I, I just begin to pray that. And then I start laying things together, Lord. That I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in thy sight. You can pray this. It's not hard to pray. We just got to want to pray. How many of you would love to, to pray more this year than you've ever prayed in your life? You can pray all the way, and I'm obviously not going to pray the whole body, but I love it. I get, I, I get down to the loins, and I say, God, I want to reproduce things in your kingdom that are pure. I get down to my feet and I say, God, I want to stand on the sure foundation of your word. Your word says, Lord, that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And so I'm asking that you would hide your word in my heart. And I'm, I'm covering that whole body. Hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How do I get his word in my heart? I pray his word. It's on my mind. It's in my heart. It's mind, body, and spirit. I got to have it. I got to stand strong. And then... I'll close with this. I preached the other night on the whole armor of God, and I wish I would have had time to go into this. Thank you, Mother, for teaching me how to pray like this as a child. But after I covered myself in the blood of Jesus from the top of my head to the soles of my feet, I began to pray the whole armor of God. And I want to show you, if I may, if you'll put uh, Ephesians 6 and 10 on the screen. I'm going to show you. This is how it's written, but I'm going to show you how I pray it, okay? I get into Ephesians 6 and 10 and I pray this. God, your word says that I should put on the whole armor of God. And the apostle Paul said, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And to put on the whole armor of God that I may be able to stand. You see, I'm saying this, that I may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, Lord. For I realize this day that I wrestle not against flesh and blood. And I start making this applicable to my life. I wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. Wherefore, I take unto me this day, verse 13, the whole armor of God, that I may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all of the stand. Lord, I will stand, therefore, having my loins girt about with truth. See the value of what I'm saying? Well, how do you just, you just like pick up the Bible and start, start reading the scripture? No, you can pray the word and make it applied to your life. I wish I had time to walk you through this whole deal, but it's so stinking powerful when you start praying the word of God. Because after I've left that 
labor and I've been washed and cleansed in the blood and I've got on the armor of God now I'm ready to go a little bit deeper and I walk into that holy place oh I love that holy place that holy place is so powerful but before you get to the holy place you had to walk by five posts it's kind of odd it's four on the other but it's five right there as you go into the holy place brother G.A. Mangan said he always felt like that those five posts represented Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. He said, you got to walk through the revelation of who he is if you're going to get in there. You walk into that, that holy place. And on your left, you got the golden candlestick. Seven. Seven candles. Right in front of you, you got the table of incense. To your right, you got the table of shoe bread. I, I know I'm probably boring you to death, but I want you to understand you can pray. And I start grabbing hold of that candlestick. God, when this curtain closes behind me. The only light and illumination in this holy place. With the curtain closed. Shut in with God in a secret place was that candlestick. When the priest walked in here, they couldn't see anything else if they didn't have the candlestick going. So Lord, this your word is a lamp to my feet, a light into my path. Your spirit lights my way. And I get into Isaiah, the 11th chapter, and I'm hurrying. But if you get into uh, uh, the sevenfold working of the spirit of God in Isaiah 11 and 2. There were seven things that the Spirit of God did. It was wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, fear of the Lord, and righteousness. And I begin to pray that at every one of them candlesticks. Lord, I'm asking you today that wisdom and understanding and counsel and might and knowledge and the fear of the Lord and righteousness, holiness is functioning in my life. And I pray all the way through there. I get that table of shoe bread. God, today your word said that I could have my daily bread. And I'm asking you to give me a word today. Give me a rhema word. Let your word speak to me. And I start praying that. And then before I go any deeper, I get in front of that altar of incense. And I start praying, God. I want my praise to rise into the nostrils of God as a sweet-smelling savor today. Your word says, Lord, that you abide in the praises of your people. I left my old man out there at the altar, Lord. I was cleansed at that lever, and I came in here, God. You have fed me with your word, so now I just want to praise you that I'm clean. I just want to praise you that I'm holy. I just want to praise you that I'm pure. And I walk in there into that holy of holies, and all, all you see right there is blood and mercy on that mercy seat and the angels. And I start Thank God, thank you for your angels that you've given charge over us. Thank you for the mercy seat. Thank you for mercy in my life today, God. I thank you, Lord Jesus, today that there's mercy in my life. I thank you for your blood. And I start walking through the word of God. Lord, your word said, because his word was in there. Your word said, Lord. And I begin to pray the word of God. And I pray that budding rod of air and the miraculous and the supernatural. Release it in my life, God. And I begin to pray that, that pot of manna that was in there. Lord, you provide for me in a way nobody else can I don't want I don't want to get quail with my own hands I want your word and your wind to blow quail into my camp God I want you today to provide for me pastor how do I pray open up that book and get in the word and start praying the word Lord your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path praise God you can stand I want to tell you one of the greatest secrets that I love to pray with. I close out my prayer after I've been through all, all my prayer. I close out with what's called ripple prayer. And I love ripple prayers because it's easy to remember. It's another pattern that we set. Whenever you throw a rock into the pond, it starts to ripple out, right? And so I pray, I pray ripple prayers. 
I've, I, I begin to pray for my marriage, my wife, and my children, and my parents, and her family, and my family. I, you know, I just keep, I keep praying ripple prayers. God, I pray for our church. I pray for our city. I pray for our nation. I pray for Israel. And I, I'm sending those ripple prayers further out, further and further, further out. If you'll start setting up a ripple in your life of how you need to pray for things, and when, when God gives you somebody to pray for, you can put that wherever it needs to go in that ripple. If somebody says, would you please pray for me, then you don't have to lie to them and say, I sure will. I sure, I will. And next time you see them, you're like, oh, man. I told them I'd pray for them, and I hadn't prayed for them one time. Somebody shout prayer. prayer. It works. I appreciate you taking a Wednesday night to discuss the word of God. But there is so much power when we start praying this book. I'm just telling you, if you'll start praying the word, time will fly. I mean, what else, what else more could you say? Lord, you are my shepherd. I shall not want. You make me to lie down in green pastures. Just get you some scripture and start praying the word of God. How many of you want to go deeper? Amen. Amen. God, I thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for your sweet, sweet people. Thank you, God, for these precious people that have sat here tonight and hopefully absorbed and soaked up the word of God. I pray that you would speak to our hearts, speak to us in the night, speak to us in the day. In the name of Jesus, keep us safe until we come back together again, and we'll give you all the glory and the praise in Jesus' mighty name. Let the church say amen.